Well, hey, welcome to Timber Creek. If you're a guest, first time, first time in a long time, so great to have you at one of our locations. Come on, church family, let's welcome all of our guests today. So glad to have you. It is Christmas, and I love this time of the year. We get to give back so much. Like, uh, we've been in a season where we're praying like never before, engaging like never before, and giving like never before. And because of your faithful generosity, your faithful giving, we're gonna be able to do some really cool things out in the community. And uh, I believe that, that Jesus, one of the greatest things he would have us do in a community is have great churches in the community. And we have many, many great churches all across uh, the timber country of East Texas. And recently we have had the privilege, if you weren't here at the very beginning of worship, uh, we got to make mention that uh, reopening today, the soft launch, uh, we are opening our new campus in Mount Enterprise, Timber Creek Church Mount Enterprise. Everybody give it up for them. I just got to see some pictures of them together worshiping. We're with them live right now. And hey, listen, we want you to know that uh, we're believing the best is yet to come. And God is going to leverage what we're doing there to expand his kingdom, uh, to expand his plan. And the deal is, many times we will pray, God, will you bless this thing? And when we actually attend to what he's already revealed, uh, we are blessed. When we do what he's called us to do, he guarantees a blessing on that. And so we're excited. Now, this is a soft launch, meaning like uh, the restaurant opens up when it's first opening. It opens up to family and friends. And, and that's what we're doing today with Mount Enterprise. And in a few weeks, we will have a full launch. We'll be setting up several different outreaches and opportunities and kind of communicating to the community of Mount Enterprise and everybody beyond that, a past Nacogdoches to be a part of what God is doing. And so you can play a great part. And if for some reason, anybody in any of our locations, if you feel a prompting in your heart, like, I kind of like to be a part of something like that, uh, then talk to us at the info bar out in the lobbies. Uh, we want to help you get connected and really fulfill your God-given potential. Groves, you're still with us. We're in the middle of construction, our Groves campus down in the Beaumont area, and we'll be launching soon too. And I mean, just seeing pictures of the demo and the reconstruction of the building, adding in sound systems and screens and places for the kids. I mean, it's going to be amazing what God is doing there and our campus pastor, Ryan and Tabby Jones, a lot of cool stuff going on. So one of the ways that we not just go beyond our four walls, but something that we do right here for the families in our church is what we have been doing with Angel Tree. In Angel Tree, we have about 170 families uh, that without a little bit of help in the holidays, um, they wouldn't be able to provide the kind of Christmas they'd like to provide for their kiddos. And we just wanna help uh, come alongside of them. And so the Angel Tree is a way for, these are specifically church family members. These are the part of the Timber Creek Church family. And so out in our Nacogdoches and Lufkin lobbies, you'll see some ornaments on some trees, the angels there. You can scan the QR, QR code underneath that. But ultimately, like you, even if you wanna just scan it right now, this is a way that you can be a part of what God is doing just to bless the families inside our church as we continue to do a lot of things outside the church as well. Sound good, everybody? All right. Well, we are in when in Rome. We have turned third. We are just about to slide in to home on this series. This is the 21st message that we have given on the book of Romans, this letter to, from the apostle Paul to the saints in Rome. Paul hadn't even been to Rome yet, and yet he had a heart for what God was wanting to do in that city. 
And today we are in Romans chapter 14. We've, going, we've been going inch by inch. And today I'm just gonna read the passage. We're gonna pray and we're gonna jump in. So I'm inviting you the last few uh, weeks. I've said, hey, when we read the word, don't just like listen to it for what Paul is saying to Rome. Listen to it for what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. It's active, it's living, it's breathing. And, and God did not give us his word just to show us how they lived. He gave us his word that's breathing and active and alive now to show us how we are to live. So I invite you to let the, the Holy Spirit do his work through the, through the word of God. Romans 14, verse one. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. <laughs> sorry, vegetarian, sorry for your weak faith. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I mean, if, if Jesus didn't want us to eat meat, he wouldn't have made you know, it taste so good and whatnot. Anyway, this whole, and what you're gonna see now as we continue to read, you're gonna see all of these disputable matters come to light. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who doesn't. The one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and the master is Jesus. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of fights over food. All food's clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God Blessed, and this is like a hidden beatitude, a hidden blessing. Blessed is the one who doesn't condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts and condemning if they eat, but whoever has doubts is condemning if they eat, condemned if they eat, pardon me, because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. And sin is my way over God's way in any way. Now that is a lot of talk about food and days, basically diet, days, and drink. We're gonna unpack that today. Would you pray with me? Father, the next few moments we have, a lot we're gonna talk about. But can we push through all of that, things that might be important to us uh, and might not be important to someone else? And we invite you to do what only you can do. You're the host, we're the guest. You've invited us in. Speak so clearly today through your word that by the time we leave today, we will have recognized areas that we're fighting over disputable matters, where we're, we're splitting up people because of stuff that doesn't really matter. And help us to be unified in the most important things. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Everybody said amen. It is St. Augustine who has credited this quote, and I'm going to put it in reverse, tear. I'm gonna reverse the thing and give it to you backwards. But St. Augustine is, is given the, the, the popularity of this quote, and here, here's what it says. You can write it down in your, in your blanks. In all things, what we should do is we should give charity. In all things, 
in the stuff we deal with, in our opinions, and in the things, the way you see it, the way I see it, I see it differently, you see it, whatever you feel, I feel, whatever. In all things, there ought to be some charity that we give as Christ followers. And charity not meaning like giving charity, like giving a gift. It's about generosity of peace and patience and kindness to people. People that have a different perspective than you, that we can be generous in our patience with them, generous in our understanding of them, generous in our hospitality to them, and still, and still stay true to what we believe. In all things, can you be someone who is known for their charity? Now, in the non-essentials, in the things that are important, but they're not absolutely essential, there's liberty. Where there's a freedom, where, um, you know, a certain denomination or a certain church has a different viewpoint on a particular topic in the Bible. They see it and interpret it differently. And in non-essentials, we can have liberty and freedom that, you know, you see it that way, I see it a little differently, but that's not a absolute essential to our faith. But when it comes to the essentials, in essentials, the bedrock, the foundation, we gotta have unity. Unity equals anointing. The psalmist says how good and pleasing it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the oil that runs off of Aaron's beard. In other words, there's an anointing when the church is in unity. It's way beyond whether the pastor can preach lack of this. <laughs> and it may sound anointed. <laughs> But I can talk about whatever, super califragilistic. And it can sound anointed and don't mean anything. The real true anointing is when the spirit and the bride say, come. When the people of God are saying what God wants the people of God to say. That's unity. When we are rowing in the same direction after the same purpose. When we know that the very most important things are the most important things and we keep those main things the main things. Now, if you were to click on this, consider it like a folder. And when you click on it, there's two files underneath essentials that I want to unpack for you. The first one is this, matters essential to salvation. In essentials, we got to have unity. And when you consider matters essential to salvation, for us at Timber Creek, using the word of God, it is by grace you're saved through faith, not by works lest any man should boast. It's not about what you could do, it's about what he has done. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, you're saved. God so loved the world, he didn't send his only son, he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. These are the key pieces and that only the way through to get to God. The only way of salvation is through his son, Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And yet, there are people and there are even denominations that are built on things beyond those particular essentials to salvation. Beyond that, another file that you could open up would be matters that are clearly spelled out in Scripture but aren't essential to your salvation. So there are guardrails for life. It is only through Jesus and what he has done, not what you would do to make you saved. But then once you're saved, Jesus, his character, his conviction, his conduct, the way we live that's clearly spelled out in scripture. The way we value life, the way we value marriage, the way we value sexuality, the way we value morality. We get the moral compass for everything in life through the authority of God's 
word and those things that are clearly spelled out that aren't essential to salvation, those are key things that in this particular church, we need to have unity. Now, if you threw a stone across the broadcast location and hit a couple other churches, you could, number one, but number two, you would find that there are different essentials that they have built on because their denomination is different than our denomination. And in those non-essentials, we can have liberty, we can be friends, and we can live, and we can love, but we don't have to always see it the same way. And what this passage is about is really those disputable matters. It's disputable matters. So let's situate this. Let's define it today. What's a disputable? He said, accept one another then whose faith is weak and don't quarrel over the disputable stuff. Disputable matters would be not a choice of right or wrong, but of personal opinion. That in the eclectic, uh, made in the image of God, unique fingerprint and DNA of the body of Christ, where we're not all cookie cutter, but yet we're under one God, you're gonna have some opinions. You're gonna have some differing opinions. You're gonna see things eye to eye with me and there's some other things we ain't gonna see eye to eye. And so those disputable things are not a matter of right or wrong, but they are of personal opinion. And here's what's crazy about a personal opinion. The, the uh, Greek word, like that original language word for the word opinion, you'll never believe it, Facebook. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not. It's not. But it should be because it is like it is the platform for Christian opinion. I mean, you can scroll and I mean, people getting on their soapbox, baby. I mean, the way it should and shouldn't be, the way it should sound and shouldn't sound, the way it should look and shouldn't look, the way it should. Yeah, I mean, you talk about opinions. And so let's let's unpack that personal opinion piece uh, just, just a little bit. It's not in your notes, but you could jot this down or take a picture of the screen because I really want you to kind of get this into your system this week. The truth is this. The longer you're in church, now pause. This message is for anybody, but in particular, it's for those of you that have crossed the line of faith and said, I want Jesus to be the center of my life. I, I want the word of God to be the moral compass for my life. I want the way, the truth, and the life to be what I follow. His name is Jesus. And, and so, so this mainly for those of you that have said, I want to be a Christ follower. Now, don't tune me out if you're still kicking the tires. If you're dipping your toe in the water of the claims of Christ, this is gonna be helpful for you too. But this is really about those that are, how, how do Christians treat Christians, right? The truth is, the longer you're in church, I know this is true for me and it's true for you, the more you like your own opinion. <laughs> the more you like your own opinion and your own flavor, baby. And the more you like your own opinion, the more everyone else needs to live by your opinion. Why aren't they living by your opinion? And this is what Paul is dealing with with the Christians who are living in Rome and Rome's gone cray cray. And Christians are trying to situate, and not only Christians in Rome, but there are those that came from the Jewish faith that had specific holidays and specific ways they would eat and specific ways that they would drink. And then Gentiles that were not of Jewish faith, uh, not of the Jewish heritage that were coming in and accepting Christ. And they were like, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to look like me, talk like me, eat like me, sleep like me, drink like me. And they're like, wait a second. I, I just want bacon. And they're like, you can't have bacon. We don't do bacon here. Legit. Because back then, Paul 
talks about three areas in that passage. He talks about the diet, the days, and the drinking. In the first part, this whole diet, like, hey, don't look down on someone who eats certain, you know, the person whose faith is weak that only eats vegetables. He's saying there was a couple of things. Not only was there a specific diet in Judaism, but also there was a practice that um, false idols, they would, they would sacrifice meat to idols, and then they would take that meat instead of wasting it because the idol ain't going to really eat it because it's a false idol. They would take it, and then they would sell it at the market. And people wouldn't get that meat. They're like, oh, how could you even take that into your small group? Like, it was sacrificed to Baal. And another guy's like, Baal tastes good. I mean, I mean, uh, this is a rib. Who cares what Baal? Baal ain't real. Give me, a, give, give me another rib. And, and so there was this tension between what you can eat and what you can't eat, if it was sacrificed to idols or not. Then it was the, the days and Jewish Passover, Jewish holy days. We still have this in the local church, too. People that accept Christ, but they also, they feel like, no, 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 we should also be, we should also be doing Sabbath, and we should also be doing all of those things that the Jewish people do. And if you were to talk to Jews, they would say, why? Why? You're not Jewish. But sometimes in, in Christianity, we can kind of, we, we, love, we just love to add stuff. We just love to add stuff. If you want to celebrate a Jewish holiday, celebrate a Jewish holiday. You want to eat a Seder meal, the 13 steps in Passover, do it. But don't expect everybody else to do it because you want to do it. And don't expect that the church is wrong because you're doing it. Here's another thing. There are whole denominations of churches built on you should have service on Saturdays instead of Sundays. Okay. Okay. And Paul is addressing this. He's saying whether your day is Saturday or Sunday, it's all holy. It's all holy. Let's, let's not quarrel over disputable matters. And then drinking when it came to alcohol and, and, and heavy wine. On the one side, being, being very cautious to not be drunk, number one. But then number two, even like Paul saying to Timothy, if you have a sick stomach, take some wine with your sick stomach. There was these tensions of diets and days and drinking way back then. Now, good news is, we don't have anything to quarrel over. <laughs> we, don't, we don't fight over anything. It's amazing. And <laughs> we're all like in unity. Like, uh, no, we have made up stuff to quarrel over. I mean, bless God, the carpet, I, it ought to be purple for majesty. Church is fighting over the color of the carpet or where the organ was put, bless God. Now we, we've got quarrels in the local church about like real Christians dress this way for church. Like God deserves your very best. And if you've got nothing less than the best, what are you even doing walking into the, walking into the church? And some of you are quietly saying, mm, bless God, Amen. And then others are like, uh, God looks in the inward, man looks on the outward. Are we there to impress people about how well we dress, or are we there to please God? And it's like, well, he's there to do both. Well, it, 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 let me just say it on the, on the real dress thing. Scripture and verse on that. Like when you come back to it, these disputable matters tend to be opinions and not Scripture. It's opinions or the way we were raised or the way I was taught. My, my grandpa taught me to church. He said, no, you're going to give God your very best. If you were going to meet the president, you'd wear a tie. You're going to wear a tie in the church. Well, then we should also be wearing a tie at six in the morning when you do your devotions because you're meeting with God just as much in your devotions that you are in public. So, so, so like there's this tension of disputable matters. You got to dress this way in church. Here's another one. Real Christians worship this way to this style of music. If it's got a beat, watch it. I can't believe all that. Using Satan's harp on all that Christmas music. 
<laughs> no, you got to worship this way or that way. And if, you, if you're not part of the like, hey, man, if you can't do the Pentecostal shuffle, are you even saved? Okay? If you don't get a little exuberant, I mean, there's joy in the house of the Lord and you got to show it my way or you're not really saved. Or you are being a distraction if you don't, I mean, we'll let you do this. Right? And so those are disputable matters, but there's also like a, a common understanding in different denominations and in, even in different churches, how we're reaching and how we're corporately worshiping. If you want to worship in a certain way that would, would kind of like have you marching to the beat of a wholly different marching band and you're walking over here doing your worship over here and everybody else is engaged like this, then we need to be careful of that. In your own, in your own time, in your own worship, worship, worship. Notice that when David danced before the Lord, David danced. He was king, but he didn't make anybody else dance. He wasn't like, I'm going to dance. I'm going to dance. Why don't you dance with me? And if you don't dance, you're not, you're not where you need to be. Disputable matters. Oh, real Christians are teetotalers. And some of you, you're saying, what is a teetotaler? I get it. It's back in the prohibition movement that someone who is totally abstinence, like a capital T, teetotaler, you don't drink alcohol. I mean, NyQuil, you're bending it, baby. <laughs> to be honest with you, I grew up in a teetotaler family. Total abstinence. My wife grew up in a teetotaler family. No alcohol in the home. I remember going to Christmas at Uncle Richie's house. We'll call him Uncle Richie because that's his name. And I went to get some leftovers out of the fridge and my heart broke. And I went to my mom. I was like nine years old. I was like, there's a Coors Light. There's a Coors Light in Uncle Richie's fridge. Is he going to hell, mama? And mama's like, let's pray. No. no. I, didn't grow, I didn't grow up around it. I, I, I don't drink. Um, I, I'm a teetotaler. But, but, but like, I'm not pushing that on anybody else. We, we, we have friends. We go to dinner. Uh, they, they, they will have alcohol. We, we don't. We're not going, oh boy, here we go. Don't, take up, don't, put, don't post pictures of us on Facebook. Right? But there's, those are disputable matters. Here's another one. Real churches don't need lights and smoke. Oh, bless God, I agree with that one. What we need is the presence of God. We don't need the lights and smoke. We don't need all the other stuff. And guess what? You're right. We do need the presence of God. And we don't need lights and smoke. And we don't need heaters. And we don't need air conditioning. And we don't need electricity. But you can have the presence of God and lights and smoke. You can have it. It's disputable. It's disputable. But there are some churches and denominations that not only is it no lights and smoke, it's not even music, right? Okay. But instead of throwing stones at the person that doesn't want music, let's just, in all things, have charity, in the non-essentials liberty, but in the essentials now, let's make sure that at least, as for me and my house, and for us in this house, let's be in unity. But I mean, you, you want to keep going, facial hair. Facial hair is a thing in denominations. You know, my dad was elected to his first pastor at Monette Assembly of God. I was uh, four years old when he was elected. And Brother Beckett, we'll call him Brother Beckett, <laughs> uh, was one of the deacons. And about two weeks after my dad was elected, Brother Beckett invited my dad over for some sweet tea. And they had some sweet tea on the front porch. And Brother Beckett said to my dad, Pastor Terry, Satan is trying to get me to hate you. 
Satan is trying, that's a deacon-possessed church right there. <laughs> Satan is trying to get me to hate you. And my dad's thinking, what did I say? What did I do? What have I done? I hope I didn't, like, I hope I wasn't rude to his wife or something, or maybe I, you know, mis- did, I, did I ignore him at the restaurant or something? And she, he goes, you got that facial hair. And my, my dad did have a sexy mustache back in the day. Okay, before it was cool, he was cool, all right? Magnum P.I. like crazy, my daddy, all right? But like facial, Satan wants me to hate you because you, you grew hair on your face. But do you see how those opinions can so quickly become like absolutes by the way we're raised? I wonder how many of you, unbeknownst to even you, have gathered some things and put them in your pocket on stuff that you're really passionate about that it, at the end of the day is not essential but, but you have actually like turned a cold shoulder or you have stiff-armed someone. Okay, hey, here's another one, tattoos. I'm just gonna get through a few more. I'm, I'm, my goal is for everybody to have an opinion today on one of these. <laughs> tattoos, in Levit- Leviticus, do not mark yourselves for the dead. And so people say, no tattoos. You know what Leviticus says. It's not even, it's not talking about, it's not talking about tattoos. That, that's talking about marking a pagan worship of like ble- bleeding yourself for pagan sacrifice, okay? I don't, have, I don't have any tattoos. It's not because like I feel like it's a sin issue. It's just because I just haven't maybe found the right one to have yet. When I get there, I'll get there. I mean, my weight has fluctuated so much, I was gonna put like a picture of Janet, but I didn't want it to be like, oh. It's my wife. Let's keep going, yoga. Yoga and certain poses and stuff. Some of you are like, careful, careful. Don't you, we don't need no upward dogs in this place. <laughs> and, and the truth is, do you know that yoga originates from, from Middle Eastern religion? And they're, they're like, they were inviting spirits to engage them as they opened themselves up to the sun. Like there's all kinds of history there. But, but I, I would say in my personal opinion that nobody's accidentally getting getting the demon or whatever because they're, because they're stretching. But be sensitive to those that have opinions about it. There's this workout DVD. Uh, students, DVDs were uh, <laughs> called P90X. And in some of the P90X, there was a whole yoga thing. And there was a whole group of us guys for years at Timber Creek would get together and do it. But there were a couple when we got to the time where we were stretching and stuff and we were doing these things, they, they, they didn't do it. We didn't go around to them saying, come on, dude. Okay, don't do it. It's okay. But also don't go over here and like, oh, God, help them there. Just letting in Ichabod <laughs> by lunging, okay? Don't even get me started, though, on yoga pants. Oh, God in heaven, help us. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about Halloween and Harry Potter. I mean, Harry Potter wasn't allowed in my house. You couldn't even have Smurfs in my house. Like if Smurfs is the gateway drug to heroin in the Yancey family. Halloween, unless you're, dress, unless you're dressing up as a basketball player, you can't go do any of that other stuff. And I think you do have to be careful. I think you do need to have healthy boundaries. But, but, but also some of these things, there's some, some liberty. Oh, Easter Bunny? Santa Claus? You mean Satan Claus? Hey, what about public school or private school or homeschool? Actually, I don't care about all that. I just want old school. 
and it could be elephants and donkeys, it could be Donald Trump or never Trump, and the truth is, my opinions are very, very powerful. But my opinions do not deserve equal authority to God's word. Have an opinion, live by it, it's okay. Your opinion does not get the equal measure and the weight. Your opinion is a cup of water to God's ocean. Trust God and trust that, that if one of your opinions, God's opinion or your opinion doesn't line up, guess which one needs to truly change? Yours, your, yours needs to change. <laughs> so let's let's kind of lean into that whole idea of the God's word. The truth is, for many things in the Christian life, God has not spelled out what he wants to the letter. Every single thing, he hasn't spelled out to the letter. God gives us principles to live by, roads that are narrow, but are roads, and guardrails on both sides, and what we do is we use wisdom in applying those principles. So, sexual ethic. God gives us principles, and how we live within that ethic are the guardrails. If it's clearly spelled out in scripture, it's an essential, not essential to salvation, but essential in honoring God. The truth is, in this passage, though, the key word here, the key word in all of this is the word accept. Notice that the scripture starts out, Romans 14, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable that key word accept, I would call it super duper tricky. It's super duper tricky these days because acceptance is a word that is hijacked by culture. There were, Christian is a word hijacked by culture. What does really being a Christ follower mean? Spirituality is a word hijacked by culture. And acceptance is, 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 is the same. And so acceptance can become, you have to embrace me and love me the exact way I want to be embraced and loved. And if you don't, I won't accept you. That's not real acceptance. And acceptance for you to say, I, I, I don't want to run them off by having a particular conviction and I have to believe a certain way, but I also want to accept them. So I will lay down my own convictions. I'll lay down the moral compass of God's word in order to just accept and embrace because I don't want to lose this friendship. That's super duper tricky today, isn't it? Parents, you can feel that. For the parent of an addict, I want to accept them, but I've also got to have guardrails. But how do we do this? Because I don't want them to die on the streets. And how do I, I know I shouldn't give them more money, but if I don't, what's going to happen? And like, there's this, oh, tension that we live in. We can, we can have fun with the facial hair stuff and we can have fun with the Harry Potter stuff, but this is where it hits home, doesn't it? So what I would invite you to do is, is kind of help situate your own acceptance and I would invite you into a governed acceptance, a ruled acceptance, not governed by your own opinions, but governed by the word of God as the moral compass for life. And that when you talk about acceptance, you find guardrails for acceptance you love no matter, but as far as what you accept in your own home, what you accept in your 
own line of business, what you accept with your children. I grew up, I couldn't say, we couldn't say but. Stupid. Sucks. We couldn't say sucks. Couldn't say crap. My mom is watching this right now and she's like, oh Jesus, help him stop. Help him stop. Couldn't say all that. Oh, Jimmy gets to say sucks all the time. Well, go live with Jimmy's mom then. <laughs> it's like that's literally our conversation in fifth grade. <laughs> Governed acceptance. Hey, this is the way we talk. Uh, you you want to leave this house, talk whatever way you want. You want to leave this house, live however you, you want. Okay, that's fine. As for me and my house, this is how we're living. And there's a governed acceptance. There's also a mutual acceptance. And I think that church and people, because of the fear of losing relationship, we've lost all the governedness of it, the, the guardrails or the mutual piece of it, and we're just kind of being led into blind acceptance, and that's very dangerous because we give up our essentials in that way. So what can we do is we can find mutual acceptance of saying, hey, I gotta figure this out. So it goes back to my Uncle Stevie who's had seven relationships, seven marriages, um, and on third or fourth, Vanessa was coming over for Christmas in our house. My dad has a conversation with Uncle Stevie. I love Uncle Stevie. But my dad says, hey, you and Vanessa, you're living together, you're not married, and um, please come for dinner, come for, we're gonna celebrate, but like, we don't feel like it would be appropriate, and we need to, your help with this. We don't feel like it would be appropriate to say, yeah, just stay in our home. You're not married, you're gonna sleep with one another, and we believe that marriage, like that kind of stuff is, is for, for the marriage, and you're not married. We're not gonna talk about this at dinner over Thanksgiving. Hey, Uncle Stevie, by the way, did you get that Marriott? Like, we're not gonna do that, but can we agree that this is our boundaries? Can, can you, will you love us and we love you and still honor boundaries? That's mutual acceptance. And of course, we're, we're great relationship today. I mean, we've had seven great relationships. <laughs> So with the rest of the time I have, I gotta move quick. How do you handle the disputable matters? There's all kinds of ways. Let me just give you four. The first is this. If you're gonna handle a disputable matter as a Christ follower, number one, practice compliance of your conscience. Jiminy Cricket got it wrong. Always let your conscience be your guide. Don't listen to, to singing crickets, okay? They'll lie to you. Don't always let your conscience be your guide. But practice compliance with your conscience. What is your conscience? Your conscience, the, the etymology of the word is with science. With science. In other words, with knowledge. But it's not just knowledge. You don't just do your conscience with no, just knowledge by itself. It's that gut. When you feel something isn't right, you push pause. When you say, hey, I know it's okay for you. I just don't know if I feel comfortable about doing that part of the P90X video. Okay. Compliance with your conscience. Scripture says it like this. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. If you're convinced in your own mind, you gotta be careful because whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat. So if you're saying, no, I'm not gonna partake. Alcohol isn't for me. But then, you know, you say, well, I'm just gonna do it because everybody else is doing it. Or, or everybody does it, there's total grace. Why would anybody even not want to drink alcohol? What's the big deal? And what's happened is, because of your amount of grace, it's not a disputable matter of sin or not. It, 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 it's a matter that you've allowed something to control you now. And now it has become an issue where you're not being governed by the word, you're being governed by something different, you see. 
You have to be careful of that. That's not essential to salvation, but it is essential in becoming who God's called you to become. Number two, you gotta practice calibration of your conscience. Your conscience will lie to you. Your conscience will get numb. Your conscience will have all kinds of opinions. You just assume, well, everybody else is doing it that way. That's what a, a, a calibration of your compass is with your kids. Well, they do that and they do this and they made that and they spend money on that. Okay, well, if they would do this and they jump off the cliff, would you follow them? You gotta practice calibration. And I looked this up just a couple days ago. I thought it was brilliant that, you know, a compass, a magnetic compass, you gotta consistently calibrate the instrument so that it leads you in the right way. Here's what it does when you're calibrating a compass. Number one, you gotta find true north. If you're gonna calibrate that compass of your conscience, you gotta find true north. What is the absolute north? And that's the word of God. All kinds of people can have all kinds of things that are their true north, and so can you. Okay, you can, you can. But as for us in this house, at Timber Creek, we're determining that the word of God is the moral compass for every decision we make, and that it is the final authority for life, the final authority. You find your true north. The Christ follower would be the word of God. Another one, level and stabilize. There's somewhere you, you are leaning so far this that you don't have any space for anything else. And you gotta kinda level and stabilize. You're running around crazy. Okay, chill out a little bit and take some other perspective. Like get some footing on, on, with both feet. Another piece of the, rotate and align 360. When I calibrate a compass, I don't just see my point of view. I'm willing to look at other points of view. I'm willing to see the world around me, but I have my true north and I still stabilize, but I'm looking around and I'm listening and I hear. I gotta check for interference. Do you know that you can mess up a magnetic compass if it's too close to another magnetic force? And this is the power of what right friends and wrong friends will have on you. Right friends and wrong friends have a magnetic force. Right boyfriends and right girlfriends have, the, have a magnetic, they just tractor beam. And all of a sudden you get your whole true north jacked up because his eyes are so blue. Finally, you gotta regular, regularly recalibrate your compass. It will get messed up. You will get messed up. What does a recalibration look like? Entering his gates with thanksgiving, entering his courts with praise. We don't just show up to church because that's essential for salvation. It's not. But it is essential for understanding. It's essential for gathering together. There's so many one another's you can't do without the local church. We can't forsake the meeting of one another, meeting together like this. Because this are moments where we recalibrate the compass together. Number three, you gotta practice coupling conviction with compassion. When you have your disputable matters and your own opinions, you can have convictions. Live by those convictions. Compliance with that conscience according to the word of God. But don't forsake compassion with your conviction. Be kind one to another. Accept one another. The church fighting against each other on Facebook and the enemy laughs. Jesus came not 50% grace and 50% truth. He came to the world full of grace and full of truth. And we can offer grace, we can offer truth, and, the, and, and here's the importance about truth. Truth does matter. Truth matters. And when it does come to church, some things are worth dividing over. Some things are worth dividing over. But Jesus' own prayer to the disciples at the Last Supper, 
was that my people would be one. Wouldn't divide over the non-essentials. Wouldn't divide over the stuff, the opinions. Wouldn't divide over trick-or-treat. Santa Claus. But that the kingdom of God would be righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. That our righteousness comes from him and our own righteousness is filthy rags. And the peace that passes understanding is a person, not a philosophy, it's Jesus. And the joy, the buoyancy we have in life through the Holy Spirit, that's what it's all about. So number four, prioritize unity over uniformity. You don't have to look just like Pastor Jeremy, thank God. And I don't have to look just like you, thank God. But I do wanna look like Jesus. This whole scripture, except the one whose faith is weak, who's that talking to? That's talking to Christians. The way we treat each other, Christians. But I wanna finish with this thought, what about outsiders? How do you deal with outsiders that don't, that don't claim Christ? How did Jesus deal with outsiders? A woman caught in the act of adultery thrown in front of him. Instead of stoning her, he lifts her head and says, I don't condemn you, but leave your life of sin. A woman at the well on her fifth relationship Four husbands and the fifth man is not even her husband. Jesus identifies that. And yet, he gives her truth and living water. It changes her life. A thief on the cross doesn't have a chance to do anything good except look to the one who is perfect. Jesus says, you can be with me in paradise because he understood the heart. Friends, let's love one another. Let's know what we believe and why we believe it. Let's iron sharpen iron. Let's accept the one who's weaker. Let's, let's invite wisdom for the one who may be stronger. It's the power of groups, it's the power of community. Let's love like Jesus loved. Let's live like Jesus lives. We'll be better for it soul of this world. Would you pray with me at all locations? Thank you, Jesus. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, number one, you may be here and you've not crossed that line of faith. And it doesn't matter about getting your life right. It's about finding the right life. And the right life is what Jesus lived for you in your place. He died the right death. He died in your place washed your sin away, gives you access by grace to his gift of salvation. If that's you for the first time or the first time in a long time, you need to invite Jesus to be the center of your life, you'd simply say, Jesus, I, I need you to be my Lord and Savior. Would you forgive me of the stuff that does separate me from you? It's my way over your way. I believe you are who you say you are, the son of the living God, and I wanna live for you. I don't even know what all that means want to live for you. Help me. Friend, if you're praying that prayer, he will, and he is. For everybody else in our rooms across East and South Texas, 
Jesus, if there's been things that are disputable that we have been making paramount and essential, would you give us wisdom on how to apply the right things the right way? Give us grace and patience and peace and compassion with our convictions. We'll be better for it. This world will be better for it because they see the love we truly have. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.